Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church on this morning. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The word of the Lord. You'll be happy to know our second reading is much shorter than our first reading. Um, That's why I gave the harder one to the better reader. Um, Our text that is our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from Luke's Gospel. It's It's a short set of verses, and it is a parable in its entirety. Um, But unlike most parables in the New Testament, this parable has a little bit of a different characteristic interpretively. We learn uh, in seminary that parables are not allegories. Usually parables, we try to read them that way uh, and assign roles to each of the characters and we get caught up in that when really a parable is intended to have a single point only. And often in Jesus' day, parables that he told were based in the agrarian world that all the people that listened to him were very familiar with and or had to do with having a wedding or something like that. Uh, this is also an agrarian, a horticultural parable, but this time it is, is both a parable and an allegory. It's pretty obvious what it is. So listen now for what the Spirit says to you and to the church in the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel, beginning with verse 6 and reading through 9. Then Jesus told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let this tree alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. 
But if, it not, if not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving God, we're grateful for your word, and we pray as we receive it today in scripture and in music and in fellowship and in your call to us as a church that our meditations upon your message to us might be life-giving and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My 16-year-old daughter, Maggie, called me on the phone a couple of days ago to complain. I don't know how many of you have ever had teenage daughters. That's not a new thing. Maggie's on spring break in Florida with Sarah right now, um, and they have been visiting two sets of old dear friends who hadn't seen Maggie in quite some time. And Maggie's complaint is that both times, these friends who don't know each other, when, they got, when Sarah and she got out of the car, both sets of friends said essentially the same thing. Wow, you're your father's spitting image. <laughs> and all I can ever say when people say that, and they've been saying it from day one, is I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not and never was the prettiest man but somehow my beautiful daughter makes it work. But she is my spitting image. Some of you probably remember the New York Times columnist William Sapphire. I didn't always agree with Sapphire politically, um, but I loved many of his columns, and I especially loved his on-language column. Way back in 1979, Sapphire wrote about the origins of the phrase spitting image. Sapphire explained that the phrase we always use and was used just on Maggie recently, spitting image, is really a garbled version of the original phrase spirit and image. The way people used to say spirit, they kind of shorten it like we do a lot of words and say spit. So the old meaning of spit was a perfect likeness, the spirit of someone. The spit of someone was their perfect likeness, both outside and inside. So a child can be the spitting image of her father, outside and in. But Sapphire says that some writers over the years have mistaken the first two words in the phrase, spit and, to be spitting or ejection from the mouth. And they've and I'm quoting him, prissily added the mistaken G to sound like spitting. And so we have this changed phrase, misunderstood phrase. But spitting image in its origins doesn't just refer to physical resemblance. When we're the spit and image of someone, of another, it means we reflect who they are outside and in, their likeness and their spirit. And my question today for you is whose spitting image are you? Whose spinning image am I? As a church, whose image, outside and in, do we bear, do we carry and manifest to the world? I think it's worth thinking about, this notion of spinning image, because I think it is actually the final piece to the puzzle that helps us understand and solve this parable this morning. 
the parable of the barren fig tree. In this section of Luke, this middle section, we've got a bunch of teachings and sayings from what we call the Q source. Q is the first letter of the German word for source, a collection of memories and sayings that the church has held on to for years, and we believe Luke and Matthew incorporated into Mark's gospel story and added. And here, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, toward his crucifixion, and Jesus, in a series of teachings and moments and parables, is warning all of us, urging us to be ready, to be watchful, for something is coming. And the beginning of chapter 13 of Luke has a very troubling uh, sort of topic, which I skipped over today, because, well, it's about senseless deaths, about people, innocents, dying uh, for no reason. And you know what? We don't need to read any more about that. You and I know about that these days. In Ukraine, around the world with COVID, on the streets of major cities, it is everywhere. We know enough about death these days. But after he addresses this issue that life is short, people sometimes do die for senseless, terrible reasons, Jesus then tells this parable of the barren fig tree about a frustrated landowner who goes to check on the progress of this tree that he's planted in his vineyard. That was very common and still is in the Middle East. There's very little arable land in Israel and in surrounding areas, so you have to make use, good use of every patch of dirt that you have. So you'll see on the hillsides in Israel, you'll see vineyards with fruit trees stuck in the middle, anyway, any place that they can. But this landowner comes and looks at this fig tree, which has been sitting there for three years producing no fruit, and he gets really frustrated. He's had it. He yells to the gardener, I'm done with this fig tree, just get rid of it. Let's cut it down, let's make it firewood, let's turn it into, turn it into Jenga, whatever we have to do, let's just get rid of this tree and plant another one. Because fruit trees were given the best spots, the sunniest spots on the hillsides, and still are today in the Middle East. They get the best sun, the best water, the best care, but this fig tree is not bearing any fruit, it's not producing any um, uh, investment returns. It's not pulling its weight. It's got to go. But sir, the gardener pleads. Gardeners get personally attached to their plants. But sir, give this tree one more year. And if it bears fruit, well and good. But if it doesn't, go ahead and cut it down. We can build a fort. We can do something with this wood. Just a little more patience, the gardener is asking before you give up on that tree. So again, as I said earlier, most parables, as we know, uh, as Jesus addresses throughout the New Testament, are more confusing, more opaque, but this one is pretty clear today. That sad little fig tree is getting another chance to bear fruit, and again and again, so do we in our own lives. The tree is getting more nourishment, more sunlight, more care, more time, at least another year. And the theological word for that is grace. Grace is God's part of the divine human relationship. Grace is God's part of the equation. And our part is to bear fruit. There are three takeaways from this parable as I think about this notion of you and of me, of us together as being called to bear fruit in this world. 
to respond to the grace and the love and the extra time we've been given again and again, the forgiveness we've received by changing, turning back toward God and bearing fruit. The first takeaway is that God is a God of second chances. That's who God is, starting with Adam and Eve all the way through Scripture, that ancient prehistorical identity-shaping myth. When I say myth, I don't necessarily mean not true. I mean identity-shaping story, the human story in relationship with God is a story of second chances, of forgiveness. We turn away from God. We think, as Eve and Adam did, that we can be like God ourselves. And there are consequences to our decision, always painful consequences. But God always is a God of second chances. God does not punish. but God loves and restores and redeems. The second takeaway is that life is short, in case you didn't know. When you get to be my age, it becomes more and more apparent. There is only a certain amount of time on this earth. It is precious, and that we should use that time. And the third takeaway is use that second chance that we've been given from our God of second chances to be the spitting image of God outside and in. God is a God of second chances. That's this mystery of who God is. God is not a God of equal scales of justice, but always of love outweighing consequences, outweighing suffering, outweighing everything. That's the story of Good Friday and Easter, which we're preparing for. In this story, God is the landowner. Jesus is the gardener. Jesus intercedes on behalf of, of us, of the world. I don't know how many of you uh, still have... Hamilton playing on your uh, song, what, what do you call that, your, your, your mix, what do you, playlist, thank you. Yeah, you can see how old I am. I still have cassette tapes, just have nothing to play it on. But I know Hamilton inside and out because my kids listen to it, and my favorite song in Hamilton is It's Quiet Uptown. Near the end of their lives, Alexander and Eliza are living uptown in Harlem. Alec Alexander has defended his reputation as a statesman, but to do it, he had to admit his infidelity. He cheated on his wife. There were consequences for that, incredibly painful. Awesome song called Burn. And then Alexander and Eliza lose their son, who dies in a duel in Weehawken, the same place Alexander himself would lose his life in the duel not long afterwards. But the song, It's Quiet Uptown in Hamilton, reminds us that God is a God of second chances, that that's what life is all, what life is all about. Here is, here is here are a couple of lyrics from that song. See them walking in the park, Alexander and Eliza, long after dark, taking in the sights of the city. Look around, look around, Eliza. They are trying to do the unimaginable. There are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. There they are, standing in the garden, Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand. It's quiet uptown. Forgiveness, forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness, can you imagine? God is a God of second chances. God is a God of grace. Our second takeaway is that life is short. Life is precious. Use the time. With this parable, Luke balances consequences and mercy. 
right? There's only another year left for this tree. About 20 years ago, there was a really uh, popular memoir out there. In fact, I think it was on the New York Times bestseller list for over 20 weeks. It was called Tuesdays with Maury, written by the author Mitch Albom, about a series of visits that Albom had with his former sociology professor, a guy named Maury Schwartz, who was gradually dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And in that book, uh, which was such a powerful memoir about the meaning of life and how precious it is, Schwartz in one place said, as you grow, you learn more. If you stayed as ignorant as you were when you're at 22, you'd always be 22. Aging isn't just decay, you know, Schwartz said. It's growth. It's more than the negative that you're going to die. It's the positive that you understand you're going to die and that you live a better life because of it. And then Maury Schwartz goes on. So many people in this life walk around, he said, with a meaningless life. They seem half asleep even when they're busy doing things they think are important. This is because they're chasing the wrong things. The way you get meaning into your life is to devote yourself to loving others, devote yourself to your community around you, and devote yourself to creating something that gives your life purpose and meaning. Use the time. Use the time. That's our calling. That's how to be fruitful, to use that time. And then finally, the third takeaway is be the spitting image of God in your own unique way, using your gifts, your talents, your traits, your history, your failures, and your successes. Be on the outside and the inside the spit and image, the spirit and image of your maker, your redeemer, the one who loves you more than anything, anything in the universe. Let people you do, whatever you do, to bear fruit in response to God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life. Let people you care about and serve know that they mean more to God than the sum of the consequences of their actions, that God's love for them is the defining characteristic of their life. So the thrust of this very simple, clear parable today is it's time right now to bear fruit, and we need to use that time and be the spit and image, the spirit and image of our loving God. The Lucan scholar R. Allen Culpepper wrote, Faith in Jesus Christ should awaken our consciousness to the spiritual dimensions of existence. Faith allows us and even forces us to see our lives from a new perspective. We see that some of the things we've been concerned about that drive us crazy and drive our schedules and our anxieties really all aren't all that important because they don't have much to do with us being the spinning image of our creator. And we also see through faith that we haven't always given enough attention to the things that matter, the things that last, the things that leave a mark, and the things that communicate the grace and mercy we've so gratefully received. So what would you do if you had just one year to live? Sometimes I come across people who really have just one year left. What if it was six months or a week or a day? What would you do if you only had a short time from now forward to live your life fully, to make up for things you've done or left undone or for opportunities missed? How would you reflect 
the love of God you've received throughout the arc of the story of your own life. Whatever you do, whatever I do, I'd want to get right to it. For me, it's not skydiving. I think it's visiting China. I'd like to do that. The lesson of the fig tree is every day is a gift from God. And we're called because of this precious gift of life to bear fruit, make it count, share God's love. Amen.